chaos reigns in a birdless world. Enemies abound for Jonathan Livingston Selgo, the one and only bird of salesmen should fear the rise of his rotten rogues gallery. As the noble bird clings to life in an undisclosed location, the enemies of the Justice Society run amok, stopping you from financially supporting Smodco. Hear their names, Tootface, the listener who takes all the free audio you dish out, but then bitches about the prices of the live show and never goes. Uh, look at that. Who's coming from the shadows there? It's Mistress Freeze, the fiendish femme fatale who runs your life and crushes your dreams of oral. Saying not that kind of oral, this kind of oral, live shit oral. Saying shit like, you're not dragging me any Smodco shows in my night off. Bullshit. You listen to too much of that fat guy as it is, mister. And of course, we can never forget the bird of salesmanship's most hated foe. The prickly pri- prince of pauper makers. The mountebank of moths in your wallet, man. I'm talking about the broker. With Jonathan Livingston sales goal. Nowhere to be found. Who will protect csmod.com from the vituperations of these vile villains? Oh. You hear that barking? It's getting closer. Holy shit, could it be? Oh my god, it is! We're saved! It's the bird of salesmanship's old pals. The smiling cell hounds. The hounds of cell. They'll stand for Gotham when her champions failed like Norman. Oh, the hounds of cell have those registered dogs on the run, children. Look up! Mistress Freeze, Tude Face, the broker, pow, biff, bam, man, they gone. Goner and made in Jersey. CBS show. Or Animal Practice, the NBC show. Goner and Rhea. Not... I meant the disease, not Perlman, but now that kind of works too, man. Hey, the hounds of cell have little barrels under their necks, man. What's in there? Oh, they're carrying around savings for you. They're carrying info on live Smodco shows, man, so you can sustain yourself in the harsh elements of a birdless world. The hounds of cell need money, blood money, to carry on the bird of salesmanship war on boredom and banality, man. Dates coming up, man, where you can see a live Smodco show. Give us some of your money. The bird, still no word on the bird. But don't worry, the cell hounds got our back, as you can hear. The hounds of cell are telling us, telling you where to go, man. They're telling you right now. Go see a live Smodco show, man. October 27th, John Lovett's Podcast Theater, Comedy Club and Podcast Theater. It's a Hollywood Babylon twofer, man. Two, two, twofer. Not two for one, though. Fuck that. Uh, two different shows, man. An 8 o'clock and a 10 o'clock. At 8 o'clock on October 27th, that's uh, this Friday, you can watch me and Ralph do Hollywood Babylon, man. We're back at the Lovitz after uh, having been off for a week and in Vegas the week after. And in Reno the week before that. Wow, it was the first time we back at, at uh, Lovitz in a while. That's 8 o'clock. 10 o'clock, man. Hollywood Babylon Comic-Con Theater. Yeah, it's back, man. We're doing the last part of... A uh, Batman cacophony and uh, Ralph Garman is a one-man fucking show, man. One-man force to be regular. With. I just sit next to him, read the narrative. That's ten o'clock at the John Loves Podcast Theater. Tickets at csmod.com. I think there's a you can buy them singly or there's a twofer price on that as well, man. A twofer, as they say up in Canada. I believe some of the dogs, the hounds of cell, originate from Canada. I want to say Halifax. Yeah, I can hear it in the bark, man. All that seawater. You know, right there on the fucking Fat Atlantic where I grew up. Uh, okay, man, where else can uh, can folks go see a smod, uh, live Smodco show? How about this, man? We're into November. November 7th in Buffalo, New York, man. 7.30 p.m. You can go see me at the Center for the Arts. Live at the Center for the Arts. Shaggy, I'm telling him. Pipe down. Shaggy's trying to join the, the Hounds of Cell, but they ain't having it, man. Like, we don't go for German bitches. November 8th, Jay and Silent Bob get old at the Ridgefield Playhouse in Connecticut. Kevin Smith by himself, by his damn self, man. I stood next to Muse on November 8th. November 10th, I'm standing alone, man, uh, at the Greenville, South Carolina Peace Center. Come see an evening with Kevin Smith. Ask me anything, man. Just like a Reddit AMA, but live and in person. 
Uh, show starts 8 p.m. Man, tickets at csmod.com. Uh, November 11th, I rejoin Jason Muse in Charlotte, North Carolina, man. We go to the Fillmore to Jay and Silent Bob get old. November 11th, 8 p.m. right there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, November 17th, might as well keep going, man. Me and Ralph are at the Lovitz again. So if you're booking way out, don't forget that date. And uh, and then at the end of the month, shit, man, we're coming out east, son, kind of. Well, western Pennsylvania, east from where I am right now. Uh, November 24th, it's an evening with Kevin Smith live at the Carnegie Music Hall of Homestead out there in Munhall, Pennsylvania, man. Real close to Pittsburgh, so you Pittsburgh folks ain't watching no Penguin games unless uh, they drop the puck November November 24th. Get your ass over to the Carnegie, man. We'll talk hockey. It'll be a good time. And speaking of hockey towns, Philly, man. Me and Ralph. Me and Ralph Garman. Me and Ralph Garman. We're coming out to do uh, Hollywood Babylon at the World Cafe Live. There ain't many tickets left, so act fucking fast. That's November uh, 25th, man. Those those your live shows right there. Don't forget, Comic Book Men is happening right now. Uh, every Sunday night after the Walk and Talk of Dead, I think it's 1130, unless you got like that satellite, sweet satellite feed. Although not on Dish, bitches. Um, Comic Book Men, we're into episode two this week. It was a great premiere for us last week. Wonderful numbers. AMC, very happy. We're very happy. Check out episode two. This week's brand new pods, man. You got a new uh, Hollywood Babylon. You got uh, me and Ralph in Vegas. And you got a new Smodcast with uh, me and Scott uh, talking about Teen Mo, Kev. You got new Jay and Bob Get Old with me and Jay Muse. These mighty cell hounds have our backs, man. Take us out, cell hounds. Go see Smod, go, go see some Smod, go. I am a cell hound telling you to see Smod. See Smod.com for all the tickets. Smodcast.com just to go listen to free shit, man. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Everything is perfect. Everything is so ideal. Everything is perfect. Even though you know It's not real 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 Time in a schoolyard Games to play I never could Life's not cotton candy Somehow it tastes Almost as good Meet a girl who's crazy, but you're just in it for the fun. Let in a little lie, suddenly she's the one. Now everything is perfect, everything is so ideal. Everything is perfect, even though you know. It's not real, real, real It's not real, real, real Thought my life had meaning But then again, maybe it does Oh, I wished I'd been a winner But looking back, maybe I was Making my way back I think it's almost half past ten Almost half past ten There's no need to worry Now I'm back home again Where everything is perfect Everything is so ideal Everything is perfect Even though you know 
Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm actually uh, doing the show on Tuesday. It's October 23rd. Shh, don't tell anyone. Uh, because tomorrow I am off to um, visit my in-laws with my husband. So we'll not be here on Thursday. But I wanted to get a show in the can, as they say in the business here. And so I'm out here by myself in the studio, uh, you know. I don't know. Just finished a lovely interview with Marion Williamson, which you will hear in a few minutes. Uh, but before that, I thought I would just catch up, say hello, see how everyone's doing. I believe, is it officially the last Thursday of the month or damn close to it, I think? Oh, my God. Uh, it's gone by so fast. And um, so anyway, this week, uh, anyway, I was sick all last week and um, had to cancel my live show and didn't do a radio show. And so if you got what's going around, I know it's not fun. Lots of mucus happening. Lots of mucus. Um, you know, these microbes, these viruses, they are definitely letting us know that uh, shit's going down. They're getting our attention because these weird colds and viruses, they come on differently. They last longer. You know, they're definitely mutating and trying to figure out what to do with us. They're hosts. Isn't that nice? We're just hosts for microbes. <laughs> we think we're so damn smart, you know, this big old ass brain of ours. And yet a microbe can make me lay in bed and feel like the stupidest person on planet Earth because I can't think anymore. But it was a good time. I did get to relax a little bit and take care of myself after going like a crazy person all year long. So I'm hoping that's the last of sickness this year. And this isn't some sort of like prelude to my winter. Because I was not sick last winter. And I normally don't get sick. So anyway, uh, last night was the uh, last debate, which I did not watch. Um, uh, of course, that, that would have been Monday. It's Tuesday, Monday. Monday was the last debate. Uh, I did not watch. I um, was off doing other things and um, then went and watched the uh, San Francisco Giants game, which was very exciting. And by the time you hear this, there will already be a game one of the World Series. I don't know how it will go. Who knows? It's the future. It's magical. We don't know what it is. Um, what else is going on? We lost... Um, George McGovern, uh, this last week, very sad. Um, I remember being a kid and it was 1972 during the election. And, um, of course my dad was this long haired hippie freak and he was voting for McGovern. And it was the last time my dad voted actually. And our neighbor was this national security council bigwig. I mean, like really scary person. Like I didn't know, but his daughter was my best friend, Amanda. And he would like come home from, I ran with all these really cool um, gifts for us and stuff. I think they were, you know, they were putting the Shah of Iran in at this time. <laughs> it's so insane. But anyway, his son, Rick, was also a long-haired hippie freak and decided to um, lay in the sun one day and he put tape on his body that said, fuck Nixon on his back and got a sunburn. And it was the greatest thing in the world. He would like walk around with his shirt off in the Pacific Palisades, which is a very conservative little town that we lived in, in LA here. And um, I just have such fond memories of that summer. 
Summer of 72. It was a good summer, man. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we lost McGovern. And uh, man, he was uh, he was a really great man. He really, really was. He's the one who really walked his talk and was quite a leader and very inspired um, human being. And uh, yeah, you know, if uh, it had all gone differently and Nixon had actually been found out for what he was doing that summer, it would might have been a different world. Who knows? But anyway, this is the world we have. Here it is. Uh, less than two weeks away for the election. Everyone is on pins and needles. Um, there is tension in the air, man. I've been dealing with all sorts of weird shit all week. Weird conversations on Sunday and Monday having like having to confront like those icky kind of conversations you have to have with people sometimes where you have to like stand in the shit, you know, not everyone's getting along and you kind of have to deal with conflict and, and, and raised emotions and kind of calling on all of my higher self and my higherness and, and all of the training I've had as a therapist and everything um, to just be in, in the middle of it without being triggered by it and um, and not either feeling inflated by it or feeling like a piece of shit about it. So if you're out there having to have difficult conversations, and I think the whole country is having to have a difficult conversation right now, um, and I don't know how well we're having this conversation uh, by the I see on social media, we're all kind of in our camps and lobbing grenades at each other and no one's really having a conversation. But I guess this is how the conversation happens also. I mean, it is in some ways a conversation. Um, not the pretty one that I always imagine we could sit down and have, but, uh, you know, there's time for that. And actually Marianne and I talk a little bit about that in the interview. Uh, we talk about, uh, how to have a new conversation in politics. Hmm. How fascinating that could be. And one that women could initiate. Hmm. Even how more fascinating is that? So that's exciting. And uh, what else is going on? I think that's it. World Series, election, um, you know, crazy stuff like that. Uh, good stuff like that. Uh, that's it. I hope you guys are all having a great week. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a short show today just because uh, just time constraints and what we're up to. But I hope you enjoy it. And uh, Logan's going to be inserting some music for us here. So I don't know what the music selections are, but I'll catch you all up on the website. And uh, anyway, I think uh, maybe I'll pick a little music selection here and to leave out of this and to go to my introduction to Marianne. Um, let's do a little, um, I'm going to do a little Travis and Shook, you know, some of my favorite guys. We'll do a short little piece here. It's called uh, No Place Like Earth. I dedicate this song with love Up to the moon and stars above And to the sky that fits them like a glove Under the great unknown Sure ain't no place like home I dedicate this song today To whatever makes you feel okay To the unusual games you play For whatever it is worth Sure ain't no place like So welcome, Marianne. Thank you very much, Kelly. I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm thrilled you're here again, and I'm really excited because uh, you are here today. Well, a because I wanted to say hi again, but also because you're doing this amazing event in November, and I've already bought my ticket, and I'm very excited. Uh, Thank you, Kelly. And uh, I, you know, last year I was uh, came to see you. I was coming like about once a month to come to your Monday night thing, and I remember. You had done an event, this event last year in some form or had talked about it. And the event's called Sister Giant. And I was so intrigued. I don't know if you were talking about this event or some other event about women in politics in Washington, where you went off to Washington. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, but I remember hearing the words Sister Giant the first time. And I mm -hmm. was so attracted to the imagery 
that that evoked for me. There's a sense of like safety and yet power and yet connected and full of potential. It's just this great warm bigness <laughs> when I think of those two words next to each exactly. other. Exactly. It's time for us to be big women. Yes. It's time for us to be big women. Yeah. Uh, abs- American women could and should be a moral force on the planet. Uh, absolutely. I remember the Dalai Lama talking about that. He believes that the the women of the Western world are the real hope for this planet. Yes, but you know, I always cringe when people mention that because on one hand, I have the same respect and admiration for the Dalai Lama that anyone else does, but at the same time, we really shouldn't need a man to verify that for us. <laughs> I mean, we should be climbing that. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? The idea yes. that, oh, a man said we could be, like, hello. So I think that that really shows a little bit of the problem. We're still quoting a man to say how fabulous we are. <laughs> yes, well done. Yes, well done, Marianne. Bring the truth. You know, in the U.S. Congress, Kelly, fewer than 17% of our elected representatives are women. And on the level of our state legislators, legislatures, we have fewer than 24% who are women. So without anywhere near gender equity among our decision makers, we shouldn't be surprised that our priorities are what they are in the sense that there is a particular perspective that women bring into any system. Uh, for instance, we are the first ones to make sure that the children are taken care of. You know, we're, we're the ones who ask, you know, what about the babies? Yeah. So you have a society, we all live in a civilization where economic values order our civilization. And I think that if we really want to see fundamental change in our country and our world, we We have to see love as the bottom line in politics and in economics and in social and, you know, political decision-making in the area, which would mean that we would shift from an economic organizing principle to a humanitarian organizing principle. And I think that if more women were at the table of the real decision-making power on a political level, then at least that conversation could be had. Right now... The humanitarian conversation is treated like like a peripheral issue. It's not simple. And you know, when, when many years ago we used to look at steak on a on a plate. You'd go to a restaurant and there would be steak, and then on the side would be this little piece of parsley. And people thought, well, a healthy meal is where you eat the steak and you can just throw away the parsley. It's really just there to make the plate prettier. Well, we now realize that the steak will kill you (laughs) and that that little piece of parsley has all the minerals and vitamins that you need (laughs) and that you'd actually be better off eating more of the parsley and less of the steak. So I think that that's true with how we see our world. We see as peripheral issues the fact that, for instance, we have uh, 23.1% of America's children live in poverty. And among 35 developed nations, that child poverty rate of 23.1 is so so high, we're second only to Romania. Wow. Um, The United States incarcerates more of our people than any nation in the world or any nation in history. We have um, anti-democracy events such as the passage of the, the handing down of the Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, which has now given unlimited and anonymous permission to moneyed interests to flood these campaigns with ads that expressly advocate for the election or defeat of a candidate. So what this has done, as we all know, it's turned our elections more into auctions Mm. than elections. So there are so many issues that, for instance, were not mentioned at the presidential debates because they are not central to the Democratic and Republican uh, conversation. And why is that? Because with the current situation the way it is, they are both you know, politicians in both parties, in order to get elected and to stay elected, have to serve those economic interests first, those financial interests first. So children, poor children, have no economic leverage. And if we're going to say that only those with economic leverage wield political influence, where does that leave children? <laughs> and and we really want to want to think long and hard about this, because what it basically means is that we are changing the fundamental social contract that was articulated by Abraham Lincoln as government of the people, by, by the people, and for the people, into a situation that is basically government of a few of the people, by a few of the people, and for a few of the people. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to change that basic social contract, we sure as hell should have a conversation about it. <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the three issues you brought up are three issues that you uh, are focusing on th- and that this event will be focusing on. And And I was listening to another interview you did, and I, I thought it was a great point you made that it's like, there are plenty of issues that we could put on this big plate. But if you put more than three, the energy starts to dissipate. And, and I really think with these three, you know, if you, you, you kind of let the tendrils run out from any, you know, from all three of these, you're going to cover a lot of the plate of what needs to be talked about that is not being talked about in, in our in our political well, discourse. You are so right, because Citizens United alone, that's mm. the cancer yep. underneath. That's the cancer that underlies all the other cancers. So whenever you have huge, particular corporate interests that just pervade and, and, and take precedence over the interests of the common good, the, the issue here is money and politics. So whether you're talking about pharmaceutical companies or health insurance companies or uh, the gun lobby or the prison building lobby or anything else, you're talking about the fact that money talks. And that's why Citizens United and the attendant issues are so significant. And that's even the case with education and with with um, uh, prison building, as, as you were saying, you know, every 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 issue feeds on every other issue so that our poor education system, in some cases, then feeds into our incarceration rate yep. because we have, as some people say, not just a dropout rate, but a pushout rate. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, you know, when it comes to something, let's say the environment, there are plenty of, of organizations doing excellent work when mm. it comes to the environment. Nobody needs me to stand up, you know, yeah. and, and, and there are a lot of issues like that where the work is already going on. But when it comes to the prison industry and when it comes to child poverty, there are certainly excellent organizations, don't get me wrong. As a matter of fact, our speaker on child poverty is coming from the Children's Defense Fund. But we don't have this vital force. You know, the thing is, Kelly, that bothers me, and I think you see among a lot of people, two things. One has to do with a spiritual orientation, and one has to do with a a more progressive orientation. The the more progressive orientation, people here, Sarah Sarah Palin or uh, Michelle Bachman or an Ann Coulter, and I hear people really complain about these voices of hate in mm. our society. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's a free, it's a free country. <laughs> Unless people are deeply hateful and threatening someone, they have a right to say it. Absolutely. And so I don't think at the deepest level the problem is that hatred is so loud. It's that love is speaking too softly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great point because I'm on Twitter a lot and, you know, mm-hmm. I and I have found myself and I even commented it on it last week about that the conversation that happens on Twitter pulls you into this uh, you know, diametrically opposed ranting at each other and, and slinging mud at each other. And, and I know through my own life's work and, and the work I'm trying to do in the world that this is not the way we're going to move forward, that there's a, there's an emerging third way that, that needs to happen. And, and yet it gets, you get sucked into it and, and trying to find ways to use this, you know, this rapid social media in such a way that does host the other level of the conversation that it, that love isn't this, you know, uh, soft mamby pamby, you know, let's all burn some incense and, and sit around and pick flowers thing. But love is a really fierce force. And, and it takes a lot of courage to stand up and say, you know what, I, I don't think, you know, calling Ann Coulter the C word, <laughs> even though I want to, <laughs> is not actually going to forward any of the conversation here. We're just kind of getting distracted into this ping ponging thing. And, and, and I, I think this is what you're doing in this event is exciting because I know some of the people who are coming uh, do like to have the conversation different. I mean, I've, I've worked with Jean Houston before and just saw today that I didn't even know she was going to be there. I'm so excited. She's one of your speakers. She's a person who really knows how to tap into a different way of having a conversation and bringing, you know, and I know this is going to sound woo-woo to some people out there, bringing a different frequency into the room so that a, a higher level of of conversation can happen. So it's it's an it's really interesting time. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was you know with women and you were talking about this, you know, with we don't have enough women representing us and therefore there's the conversation isn't being, you know, steered by women. And there's a thing that women do really well, which is being able to stay connected. Um, I mean, that's what the feminine does. Men can do it too, obviously, but the 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 power of the feminine and and connection 
and how many of us look at politics and even look at what Barack Obama wanted to do. I mean, he wanted to bring both sides together and have a conversation in 2008. (laughs) And we saw where that, you know, how, you know, they've just been so it's been such an obstructionist type of atmosphere. What is what is the potential? What is the possibility you feel in your bones around being able to bring this conversation of connection or or love into the political arena? Well, you know, something interesting happened a couple of minutes ago when you apologized for using the word frequency. Mm, I think more people are open to the word frequency than you seem to think when you say something like, (laughs) I apologize for using this. (laughs) I think that there's this, uh, there's this sense that anybody who's having a really conscious conversation has to somehow change our language in order to be accepted by the political establishment. Yes. But the political established conversation less and less represents the majority of Americans. Americans have moved beyond it. And so uh, people who understand that the tenor of a conversation, the honor with which we treat each other while having even an adversarial conversation, uh, the idea that we even in debate can debate with honor. I mean, it's no different than an intimate relationship. You have to be able to fight. But you have to do it in a way that is not below the belt. Right. Now, during a campaign season, we have to be able to duke it out. We have to be able to have different ideas. I mean, this is, this is what freedom is. No one has a monopoly on truth. And yet, if we do not have a context in which people can feel emotionally safe, in which there is enough personal honor shown to everyone, then you don't have a conversation. You just have this toxicity and wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And which is also why a lot of people who are on an internal journey, whether through recovery, spirituality, or anything else, look at politics, look at electoral politics, and think, I don't even want to go there. (laughs) That's everything I don't want to be. It's so toxic, it's so angry. So I think what we need to do is to recreate the field and have a new conversation. You know, you were talking about social media, and I know on my Facebook page, it's very interesting because people know, okay, we're going to have this political conversation, and I'm not going to delete anybody's comment unless it's actually hateful. Mm-hmm. And it really brings everybody to a place of knowing I have to hold the tenor. I have to honor the tenor, the frequency, as you would say. You know, last night, I lecture on Monday nights, as, as you know, at the Saban Theater, which is where Sister Jane is taking place. Last night, Kelly, um, I talked about the election and voting and so forth in my talk because one woman had said to someone that she wasn't voting because she wasn't attached to the mortal plane. Well, the idea that people think that they can use their spirituality as a path Mm. for attending to the suffering of other sentient beings is so counterfeit, you know. Yeah. Uh, Spirituality should make us the first to stand up uh, for the love that heals and the compassion uh, that brings forth real solutions. But what was interesting to me is what happened in the second part of the evening. And that is that a woman stood up, a young woman, to say that she did not agree with me on the topic of abortion. And she comes from a conservative Catholic family and does not mean uh, and does not believe that abortion should be legal. And I had just said something about if Mr. Romney wins and all of that. But the girl was respectful. And I knew that my uh, spiritual lesson in that moment was to practice and to demonstrate for others response rather than reaction. Um, nothing that she said was personally demeaning or dishonoring. And I responded to her. Other people spoke. And you heard, you heard very intelligent commentary. Then one woman raised her hand and started saying, well, how could women be so irresponsible as to get pregnant, have an unwanted pregnancy to begin with? That was where I drew the line. Yeah. And that was where the whole room could feel it. Nope not going there. You just (laughs) attacked others. But the conversation before was an important conversation. It was important that a room full of people could have a conversation about even a topic like this, not demeaning the others who did not agree, but you could see how everybody in the room was really trying to practice the emotional musculature, the spiritual musculature of listening, it's kind of like that whole thing of nonviolent communication. Yes, absolutely. And that, I think, is what Gandhi meant when he said politics should be sacred. Mm. You know, there's, we, we tend to think what's the answer. Is pro-choice the answer or is anti-choice the answer and so forth? But from a spiritual perspective, there's an answer with a capital A. And that has to do with the tenor of the conversation itself. 
And that's why we need to not apologize for that viewpoint. We need to not apologize for words like frequency because we have a deep contribution to make to the conversation with just such points as that. Yeah, and and thank you for pointing that out uh, to me because I, you know, I do. I get nervous and think that people are going to label me and, you know, project onto me whatever they're going to project onto me. And, you know, and I feel like I've done a lot of the work and I've, I do a lot of reading and I do, you know, I've done a lot of personal work and, and I don't come to this stuff wide eyed and, and naive and, and, and all of that. You know, I, I try to keep my feet on the ground and, and I, I really do believe that there is some, conversation to be had. I, I love that, you know, bringing even the vocabulary of, of our understanding of how things uh, work in the world in this implicit order that they talk about. David Bohm talks a lot about that, you know, that, uh, you know, because there's this, the, the whole thing, too, is, you know, there's the big atheist community and the science and the rationalists. And I hung, I hang out with some of those people. And it's really interesting because I did my show. I have a one woman show that I do. And I did my show for the atheist convention. And I have a lot of moments in the show where I connect with the transcendent. And, and my mother came to me after she died. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, these people are just going to rake me over the coals. And instead, I got one of the warmest standing ovations I'd ever had. And these men, grown men, came up to me with tears in their eyes and thanked me because I know what we're talking about here is real human heart. It's exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's not about who's right and whose ideas and who's thinking. Um, and, and it's not about naive, uh, swallowing of dogma. It's about in your bones when you know something is true and real. It is true and real. And, and there's something about the courage you can find then from that place mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. speak your spiritual mind, your political mind, your personal mind, whatever it is that, um, that I know this event is, you know, part of what this event's going to do is create a really safe space for that conversation on top of the bigger looking outward toward, toward right real there. suffering. Okay. Yeah safe place for us to join and have a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise we're trying to twist ourselves so that we can use the language and have a conversation that is now represented by a political establishment that only claims to speak for the mainstream. Now let's talk about that. They think they represent the mainstream. So the mainstream would mean the majority. But polls make it clear that the majority would say neither of the above. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what really is, you know, if you go out into the world today, people are having a much hipper, more conscious conversation than politicians are. So we think, well, if I want to be in politics, I have to have their conversation. Maybe not. Maybe we should have our own conversation. Maybe that's what democracy is, that everybody gets to contribute their piece. Yeah. And I, I, you know, look, there are certain words, you know, you might even choose not to use frequency ultimately, (laughs) not because you're trying to be political, but just because you think, Maybe another word, the quality of our thinking or something just might be more effective. Right. But in terms of the point you were making, the point was extremely important. Mm -hmm. We do need to be making a a point without apology. Yeah. And that's what's got, and I think that's also where women come in. We, we, I know this is a generalization, but in general, we are stopped more quickly than a man is when we feel embarrassed or humiliated. Mm. And so we need to know that we're not alone in wanting to say, what about the babies? You know, one of the interesting things to me is that in any advanced mammalian species that survives and thrives, Kelly, a common characteristic is the absolutely fierce behavior on the part of the adult female of the species if she senses that there is a threat to her cubs. Mm. You see this among lions and tigers and, and even <laughs> among the hyenas. You know the adult female hyena encircles the, food, the cubs while they're feeding in order to ensure that the adult males do not get anywhere near the food until the babies have been fed. Huh. Well, you know, the way I look at that is surely the women of America could do better than the hyenas. Yes. Yeah, So absolutely. this idea that we want to say, you know, for me, Kelly, you know, when I was growing up, my mother was a very traditional housewife. Her whole life was dedicated to my father, to her home, to her children. And I grew up, you know, the feminism of the 70s. I wanted to go out into the world and do something important, more important than my mother's life. 
And it took me decades to realize how wrong I was. First of all, spiritually, there is no out there. (laughs) But secondly, when we all started talking about the goddess and the divine feminine, Mm. which means nothing unless it's actually channeled through people, and her voice, the voice of the divine feminine is, what about the children and what about our home? It's just that we've evolved to realize that every child on the planet is when we are mature and conscious, we realize that every child on this planet is one of our children and that the earth itself is our home. Mm-hmm. So for us to show up as mothers and homemakers is absolutely correct. That just means every baby on this planet and, and the earth itself. When you have, Kelly, 17,000 children, 17,000 children on this earth, really allow, for for your listeners, really allow themselves to take this in, to allow the fact that I'm about to say to permeate whatever emotional resistance you have. We have 17,000 children on this planet who starve to death every day. Mm. Every day, every four seconds, a child on this planet starves to death. Do you know, Kelly, if American women said, "Oh, oh, that stops now, that's up now. I always say we're not angry anymore. It's just that this shit has to stop. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, for us to realize not only our, our, our power in the numbers, we're 51%, we're not a special interest group. <laughs> mm-hmm. For us to recognize our power that we already have, you know, sometimes we as women <laughs> are still stuck in old conversations about getting more power. Yes. When we ne- need now to move into the proper use of the power that we already have. Yes, fight whatever battles still need to be fought, but we still, uh, we have enough power now that we should be having a more conscious conversation and a less self-centered conversation about what to do with the power we have. To use our, our, the power of our numbers, to use the power of our finances, to use the power of our political possibility, to declare that, that love should be the bottom line in economics, that the amelioration of unnecessary human suffering whether it's our child poverty right here at home or deep poverty and child starvation around the earth, there are so many pockets of unnecessary human suffering and human desperation on this planet. And, by the way, I think we should see large um, uh, groups of desperate people as a national security risk. Mm, Because you see a large group of desperate people, yeah, that's where the gang members, and that's where Hamas, and that's where Al-Qaeda, and that's where terrorist groups representing genuine psychological forces find their easiest prey, because desperate people are more open, more vulnerable to ideological capture by the genuinely psychotic forces out there. And you're not going to be able to build enough prisons or drop enough bombs to just deal with that issue on the level of effect. We have to deal with it on the level of cause, and that's despair inside the human heart. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And and it's interesting, this, you know, this topic of power, you know, because so much, I know the work, you know, you do and the people you encounter and myself and, and the work I've done on myself and, and just thinking about my last few years of my life, you know, one of my, my part of my, my big journey was always, you know, I want to have a voice, like I'm, I'm not in touch with my voice and I need to have a voice and I need to feel my power. And it was all a very personal thing for me. And one of the things that I didn't really get was that I have a voice and I have the power. I'm just like in some sort of hypnosis that thinks that I don't have it. And That's I was exactly right. Yeah. And pretending like I don't really have it. And now that I'm a person who's on stage and I have radio shows and I, I just I mean, I just showed up and decided one day, you know what? I'm even if I don't believe it, I'm just going to act as if I have a voice and power and and learn how to have it by speaking, actually. <laughs> and, well, that is such a good, an important point. I always say if you have a Facebook page, you have a platform. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And and I so I think, it's, you know, part of that is that people like think, oh, I need to find my power before I can go out in the world. And it's like, no, you will find your power through the doing of things through the doing of that calling or that urge or that thing that pisses you off and outrages you that is you being called and uh and and the doing of it is really actually is the actualization of the power it's it's absolutely it's not some concept that you can read in a book and highlight <laughs> yeah it's like when people ask me to do things like you know women's empowerment weekends i always say isn't that 1990 isn't it about using the power that we have this isn't about becoming more empowered. You become empowered by using your power. Yeah. 
You know, it's, this is a fascinating, I, I mean, it just kind of clicked for me. It's like, it's, it's so, it's, it's like a defense mechanism in some way, because it's like, we're going to, we're going to just keep saying we don't have the power and keep working on ourselves. And it's like, what kind of narrative is that about us? It's like, right. why aren't we able to claim? I mean, that, that's so beautiful what you said. It's like, let's, we are powerful. Let's use the power we have. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, it's like, it, it is like we're stuck in a, we're stuck in the sixties almost, you know, that like, well, we need to fight more and I need to burn my bra. And it's like, no, I, I don't have to wear a bra if I don't want to. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah, it's wow. I, yeah, this is very. It is an interesting little storyline we've gotten stuck in as women. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about too was just in general in political movements. I, I was thinking about my generation. Uh, you know, I was born in '63, so I'm kind of right in the middle. I not. I'm not a baby boomer, and I I am a Gen Xer, but I don't really. Sometimes I don't relate to it. But you know, in 1981, when I graduated high school. Uh, you know, as my childhood, I'd grown up in the 60s and the 70s. And of course, my dad was a huge part of the counterculture. So I was had a front row seat to some of that. And then, you know, the 80s came in the Reagan era, and it just felt like everything was dismantled. And it all became about, you know, personal pleasure and your, you know, gadgets became the thing and videos and, and it just the world really shifted. And, and I think in some ways, you know, my generation kind of, or, you know, and I, I'm admitting to this on myself, it's kind of like, well, What's the point? You know, after all that fighting of the 60s and the 70s, look where we're at. We've got Ronald Reagan as a president and, you know, and we're, you know, we're building our army up and we're starving people. There are homeless men and crazy people on the street now. And, um, you know, God, what's the point? It's all going to get undone anyway. And, and I, I see that, you know, I mean, I feel now the biggest challenge of, of my generation and, and, and younger is, you know, having a planet for the next hundred years. I mean, I'm really concerned about this. And, and it's like, it's like anything else. It's like, I don't want us to have to reach bottom with all of this stuff in order to wake up one day and go, gee, I guess we should have 10 years ago done something about this. And so it takes a bit of enlightened courage to, to get off your ass (laughs) ass <laughs> and say, you know what, there is, it, it, we are hitting bottom. I mean, it's like, it's like, we can't really feel it, but it is happening. And I don't know, there's, it's like a tipping point for each person. And, and I, I know for myself that I'm, I'm excited about this weekend, because I want to step up to the plate in a different way myself. And, and I'm looking for that extra bit of sense of community and sense of purpose um, that something like this, I think, can offer to to kind of to 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 propel me the the the, the kind of the little booster rocket sometimes that you need to do to take that first step, and then let the momentum carry. I'm back where I started. I'm broken hearted. I'm disenchanted I'm not the only one I'm back where I started here And all that I felt, my dear And all that I held dear Evaporated I was under the willow tree Changing my chemistry Reread my history I was disenchanted A chain reaction occurred I fell in love with her I fell in love with her Cause she fell in love with me I would kill for you I would kill for you I would kill for you too I would kill for you I would kill for you, I would kill for you too, I would kill for you. Or maybe it's the other way. 
way around I should just call it square and settle down I should just go to the house of the woman I used to fantasize about Wake her up and take her out Tell her how it is with me Reinvent our history We could be prime contenders We could be shimmering, shining, yeah So one of the things that I was talking about um, was uh, this, this just this general um, m- kind of malaise around political activism, uh, which obviously is changing. I mean, the Occupy Wall Street stuff is is amazing, but in general, like I was talking about my generation, Gen X generation, and how. You know, it's like when we came of age and I graduated high school in 1981 and, and I'd witnessed the 60s and the counterculture, of course, and all that amazing work that had happened. And then the 80s came and Reagan was president and it felt like in, here in California, everything went backwards and, um, you know, and like uh, the focus changed. We all went from, you know, fighting the good fight to, gee, what's on MTV? <laughs> Right. <laughs> and right. and and so, uh, you know, I'm excited about this event because as a Gen Xer, you know, I feel like I I unplugged for a while. I mean, I've always been passionate and stayed connected, but I've kind of been on the sidelines. My cynical heart was broken a little bit. And, and you know, you and I talked about this last time you were on. But and, and so I'm excited about this event because this feels like a new way into this that comes from well, a new direction. You know, generations and groups go through developmental stages, just like individuals do, and sometimes have either numbing experiences or traumatic experiences, after which you just kind of take off for a while. I think a lot of the 60s generation, what happened with the assassinations Mm. of uh, the Kennedys and the kids at Kent State, and this had a definite developmental effect on that generation. I think the generation after me, X, as you were saying, they were raised during the Ronald Reagan years. Yep. I mean, that's why they're called Reagan's children. <laughs> I mean, the ethos at that time was, for God's sake, greed is good. Government yeah. is bad. I mean, if, if that's kind of the, the, what you're swimming in, the ethos that you're swimming in while you're growing up, it takes a while to awaken from the stultifying lie that that kind of thinking represents. So I think that there's something beautiful in the air right now because it seems to be a kind of almost like a a mass awakening where everybody for their own individual and group reasons is 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 doing actually what americans usually do you know i love that line from from churchill where he said americans always do the right thing but usually having already exhausted every other option So true. You know, Americans, we, wow. we, we can be very sleepy, we can delay, we can procrastinate. Our capacity for grandiosity and denial mm-hmm. as a group, yeah. not necessarily as individuals, but as a group is profound. Mm. But throughout our history, we have tended to ultimately wake up. Mm. And I think that this is one of those moments in history. The potential is there. That's yeah. not to say that we will. Yeah. Because human advancement, whether it's in an individual or group, is never guaranteed. Yeah. But our history, you know, Martin Luther King used to quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And that's, if we, we think of our lives, you know, even individually, often it's two steps forward and one step back. Yeah. But we do end up moving forward. And I think that our generation, and by generation here, I mean all of us who are adults at, at a time. I think sometimes we get a too little into, okay, this is the boomer generation, this is the X, the Gen X, this yeah. is the millennials. Yeah. I think we also need to remember that a generation is, is whoever is the adult at the time, which yes. means whether you are 20 or 80, you know, there's, we, are the, we are the generation that is the caretaker and the steward of American democracy at this time. Mm-hmm. And we are faced with a task that, I don't think we expect it to be faced with. You know, we sort of thought we were raised to believe, well, the generation that fought World War II, they handled everything so we can kind of cruise. Well, guess what? We have more of a rendezvous with destiny, as (laughs) as Roosevelt said, than we would have thought. Yeah. But I think largely because of all the personal work that you've referred to um, here, we are primed to see that much of the change has to come from the inside out that we need to look not only at the effects of problems, but at the cause of problem, not only at the 
you know, the symptom of a problem such as violence, but of the real causal issues involved in turning a heart violent. We need to look at the real moral issues, which are not just personally moral, but public morality, Mm. such as economic justice, such as preemptive war, Mm. such as global poverty. And I, I feel that cynicism is just an excuse for not helping. Yeah. And like I said, it's only a counterfeit version of, of spirituality that would make us think that spirituality gives us a pass. So I don't know. I think that we are ready to step into. Men don't want to be boys. They want to be men. And I think, you know, it, it's not about waiting till we're enlightened beings. As you said, it's not about waiting till we have all our power or all our enlightenment. Yeah. It's about starting right here where we are, showing up as best we can. And when people do that, and just we open our hearts, and we are available to the moment, we're available to the situation, and we really are praying in whatever we pray to be used by a force greater than ourselves to bring something beautiful and true into the world, miracles do happen. They always have. And um, it's time for us to have our collective miracle in this generation and turn things around before it's too late. Yes, absolutely. Uh, how how just describe a little bit about what people will encounter during this weekend and how they can participate uh it's the weekend of November 10th and 11th Well, the week about the event and register, you can either register uh live or you can to be there live in Los Angeles or people can live stream and the price is extremely reasonable it's just enough to pay the cost and money, you know, $25 suggested donation for students, $50 suggested donation, otherwise $35 suggested donation for the um, live streaming. And you will hear speakers. You will hear speakers such as myself. You will hear Gene Houston. You will hear about child poverty, about incarceration, about Citizens United. You will hear from political parties. You will hear from the Women's Campaign School of Yale University. You know, for me, Kelly, the issue is I know so many people who are involved in politics, but when it comes to the consciousness um, process and journey that so many of us have been involved on in, they're babies. Mm-hmm. And then I know so many people who are quite advanced, you know, in their interior journeys through recovery or yoga or spirituality, Course in Miracles, whatever, but have been so disconnected or disengaged from the political process that they kind of haven't an inchoate sense of what's wrong and what should be right, but they don't know enough facts to connect to mm-hmm. with which to actually engage in the process. Well, if you say to me, Marianne, here are all these politically savvy people and they need some spiritual journey, I would say, great, give me five years. <laughs> right? Yes. But if you say to me, here are a bunch of people who really get the consciousness part, but they've just been so disengaged from politics they don't know where to start, my response to that is, give me a couple weekends and I can tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so that's what Sister Giant is. And I, you know, the Course in Miracles says an idea grows stronger when it's shared. Hmm. I think there are some deeper conversations we just need to share. You know, if you, if you go to therapy, and you you leave the therapy session, you don't necessarily feel like you know what you're going to do yet, but you're deeper, you're more insightful, you're connecting more dots than before, and then you become clearer about what to do. Well, that's what I see, Sister Giant. We're going to have a deep conversation, and it's going to be very meaningful in its own way at times, very serious, but very fun, Mm. and I think very inspiring, and and my hope is that everybody will leave there a little bit more prepared to kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make me smile. I'll have a glass of wine at the end. I'll go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We be kicking some ass at the end, people. Watch out. Right. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, I'm uh, so excited to be a part of it and looking forward to it and just to, to, to show up and see what you know, calls me forth and be filled up uh, in my heart and my soul and my head, which I love, and uh, and hang out with a bunch of fantastic people for two days. Well, I think you just named it. Everything that you just said would be my greatest hope, not only for your experience, but for the experience of everybody who's there. And your support means so much, Kelly. 
Thank you so much. Well, it is it is my my deep pleasure, my deep honor. As you know, my show is called Waking from the American Dream, and so it's just <laughs> too perfect. I I you know my friend told me about the event, and I'm like I I've got to get Marianne on here, and we have to we have to have my listeners hear about this. And so I'm I'm deeply honored to have you here today, and thank you so much for your time. And I'll see you in a couple weekends. God bless you, honey. I look forward to giving you a big hug. All right, darling. Bye bye. Much love. Bye. So that was Marion Williamson. Once again, you can go to uh, sistergiant.com to register. It's November 10th and 11th. And um, like she said, it's um, all suggested donations, $50 if you can do it for the whole weekend in L.A. here at a theater, uh, 25 bucks for students and seniors. And then it's a $35 fee for a live stream. And if you've got uh, five girlfriends who want to do it, that's seven bucks a piece, you know, and have a little party and have a little retreat, have a sister giant retreat in your home. Uh, some of the speakers are going to be Lisa Bloom, attorney at law, Jean Houston, who's an amazing author and lecturer, Marilyn Rainwater, uh, political candidate, Jane, uh, Sarah Jane Rose, founder of Sally's List, Charlene Spretnick, author, lecturer, Marianne, of course, will be there. Adam Winkler, yes, they're letting a guy in, professor of law. And then the Women's Campaign School at uh, Yale University, which I just want to tell you a little bit about, is this really cool thing she's doing. So on Sunday, we're going to have training by these leaders from this campaign school at Yale. And it's here. The description is, it's considered the premier nonpartisan issue neutral campaign leadership program. The goal of which is to increase the number and influence of women in elected and appointed positions here at home and around the world. The president, past president, and a current member of the board of directors of the campaign school will be leading the training. It's an incredible opportunity for attendees to learn the ins and outs of leading a political life. It will also include a blueprint for moving forward, an action plan for a new politics in the 21st century. So if you're looking to get involved and you're looking for a little bit of a path or some lights on the runway, uh, I think uh, this weekend could do it. So I want to thank you all. Uh, let me see here. What do I have coming up? So um, I had to cancel last week my show because I was sick. I'm recording this show today a little early uh, because I'm going to be out of town this week. Uh, so tune in to my Sirius XM show on, uh, November, I think it is Sunday, November 5th. I'm going to have Paul F. Tompkins. My next live show is in Santa Monica, uh, November 20th. And, uh, you guys have a great week and we'll be back next week. Uh, God, the beginning of November, which is incredible to think about with, I uh, hoping an octagon table. It'll be the pre-election octagon table discussion. Uh, we'll discuss, um, maybe we'll discuss politics. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have some fun. Of course, some familiar voices will be involved in that. And I want to thank uh, Smodcast, uh, everyone there at Smodcast who helps us out. I want to thank Logan for all the work he does uh, for the podcast. And if you want to support our podcast, we would appreciate it. You can go to my webpage, kellycarlin.com forward slash waking, and you'll see on the side a little PayPal button. And, um, you know, give us give us a little something here. Support our efforts. Support our efforts in waking the American dream. Supporting, support um, how we support you during the week. When you listen to our podcast, whether you're on a walk or driving to work or um, falling asleep at night, whatever work we do for you, um, you know, give us a little shout out, show us uh, show us some love. We 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 fully appreciate it and don't take any of it for granted and um, have a great week. Let's go out with Ross Falzone's Radical Heart. Still and 
This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.